Well, Easter's coming up. Uh, really quite quickly, actually. And so I, I, I did enjoy, immensely I enjoyed doing the series and uh, Life's Big Questions. And I appreciate everyone's participation uh, so much. Thank you for all the questions. I, I must say that uh, I want to do it again. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm hoping to do that again, uh, perhaps uh, in the fall. And so get ready. If you have more questions, life's big questions, get ready and write them down so you don't forget. And then you can fire them up. Or you can, if you still have questions and you don't want to write it down, text me or email me and I'll write it down so I'm ready for the fall. Well, because we're coming towards uh, Easter, I wanted to talk about Jesus um, and what Jesus did for us. Well, I want to talk about that every Sunday, but (laughs) amen. (laughs) What did Jesus do for me? What did Jesus do for you? Well, I've got to, um, I want to start with uh, reading from Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 20 from 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. About 15 years ago, I was asked if I'd like to go on a tour to Israel. And it was in my bivocational days, so I had a full-time job as a, a grain buyer, and I had a full-time job as a pastor, and so I didn't have a lot of extra time, but boy, that sounded really inviting to, have, uh, to be able to go and tour Israel. A local Christian doctor was putting together the tour, and to make it even more appealing, he said, as a pastor... He says, as a pastor, this will change your perspective and half price. Whoa. Half price. Well, uh, we couldn't, I mean, we, I thought about it long and hard and, you know, I would have to leave my wife at home. Aw. That would have been such that would have been brutal i would have I would have never lived it down i want to just i 'll just say that i i went fish i I went fishing on the west coast, and I still hear about it that sea didn 't go, and I got to go and i don 't even like fishing. she tells me so so in the end, in the end, we made the tough decision that that I was, it wasn't the right timing for me or for the church I was serving. But someone I know went to Israel, and that was my mom and dad. And so I asked, I've asked, and maybe you can put a, couple, a picture up. No, actually, to save the pictures, I've asked my mom if she could just share a little bit of her experience about going to Israel with my dad many years ago. So, Mom, you got ears on there? Good morning. New Hello. Hope Church. 
each and every day we experienced the overwhelming awareness that we were walking where Jesus had walked. For 30 years, he had lived with his parents and worked with his earthly father, a carpenter in Nazareth. Our tour started in Capernaum, where Jesus had chosen to live during his ministry. On the first day, we were taken to the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. And a few of our tour companions were also baptized there that day. From there, we observed locations from the bus as we traveled from place to place. We would stop where some of the specific gospel stories happened, like the boat tour we had on the Gal Sea of Galilee. Our tour guide pointed out the places along the shore relating to us that it was he, it, it, in this area where the fishermen from Galilee were his first disciples. At Bethsaida, we stopped at the pool where Jesus healed the crippled man who couldn't get into the pool when the healing waters were disturbed. When we came to the site of the last days before Jesus was crucified, the ruins of old, the old city of Jerusalem stand out as significant in my memory. To actually see that Jesus, the people, to see the people that Jesus loved so much who were weeping at the wailing wall for what they had lost, while at the same time rejecting him as their savior affected me a lot. The Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane, palm trees, and sharing with our tour companions was very emotional, leaving a lifetime of impression on me. My Jesus loves me so much that he died for me. And I, I just hope that through Doug's series that we'll all be reminded again of how much Jesus loves us and how the sacrifice that was made when he died for us. And just want to encourage you to hang on to that hope and live for Christ. Amen. And thank you, Mom. I have actually uh, a couple of things that I want to show you. You know, sometimes when, when uh, mom or dad or a relative goes on a holiday, they bring you back and all you have is this t-shirt, right? I went on a nice holiday and, and all they brought me was a t-shirt. And so um, I, I, I didn't get a t-shirt, but I got a menorah. And uh, this, if you, if you know, this was, the menorah was uh, something that God said needed to be in his tabernacle and then in, his, in the temple. And it, it was a, the original one was formed out of one piece of gold and hammered out. 
and and it was it was rather large. This is just a tiny, tiny sample of what it was, but it was large, and and it was uh, and it reminds me also that that Jesus kind of it. There were seven churches in Revelation, which is, uh, well, guess what? Seven candles, seven lights. And so Jesus talked about that in the beginning of Revelation. Also, I have this little baggie. <laughs> well, actually, it, it held this little lamp. And this is a clay, an oil lamp that was made in Israel. Now, you would wonder where it was made. And that's why I have this little baggie. And the little baggie has stamped on it. It says, it, it says it, it's got a, 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 a Arabic, I think, and, and maybe Hebrew. And, and then there's an English that says Nazareth Village. And so I'm thinking that this little lamp came from Nazareth. Isn't that cool? That's kind of cool. Those are, so those are... Some of the keepsakes that, that I got from Israel from my mom and dad's trip. Well, my mom and dad um, had a good time. Uh, there is a picture of Jerusalem. There's a couple of pictures, actually. If you want to put those on the screen. This is mom and dad, and there's an is Israeli flag behind them. Next picture Mom said she, she saw a camel. But <laughs> and so she had to take a picture of the camel. Oh, and she said she got to ride on it. She actually got to ride on the camel. Next picture. And there, of course, is uh, Jerusalem looking um, across the valley uh, at the uh, Temple Mount. And so that's... Thank you. And... So the series, that what, what I plan on doing with this series is going, um, uh, there's four messages I want to share. Number one is, I am coming to you. That's today's message, I am coming to you. And then, I am with you. And then, I am cast out. And then, I am returning to you. So those four messages I want to share right in and around the Easter um, our Easter celebration. Now, if you look at my outline, it's really interesting. You will see, and if you can look with spiritual eyes, look at this. I am, I am coming to you. Okay, so they, they, we're talking about salvation through Jesus Christ, through Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus said, I am coming, and I will save you. Okay, so there's an invitation to salvation, and then he says, I'm with you, and and. And so that's, I mean, he's right there. And I'm reminded in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me, you know, open the door and I will come in and I will have supper with you. Right? Revelation 3.20. Now that's talking to the church. The church had lost it, you know, was in trouble. And so Jesus was there, but they weren't there right? Jesus was there. I am with you, but they weren't really there. And so Jesus invites us to be present with him. And then I am cast out. Now that, of course, there are times when we just, when we just fail our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we just, almost it's like turning our back on him. It's like Peter, when Jesus, when he said, don't, aren't you one of his disciples? And Jesus said, no, I don't even know the man. Right? And Jesus is cast out of your life. Right? And we do that sometimes. But then Jesus says, I'm returning to you. Uh, so I, it's, it, I think it's really interesting how much Jesus loves us. And this outline just shows that. And so, again, um, I, I have a short outline. It's the city of David, um, uh, Jesus, Jerusalem diary, and Jesus, Jerusalem destiny. And through this series, I want to point out that Jerusalem is really important. And the important... And, it is called the city of David. Now, the current religious and political struggle is very clear. I watched a program last night, um, a, a guy doing videos, in kind of a tour guide. A young, a young man lives in Israel, uh, heavy accent, um, but really cute. It could be because you lose some of the, something in the translation. You know what he's saying, but it, it makes you smile at the way he says it. Uh, but he was going onto the Temple Mount. And he explained, he says, you don't see this in the news. This, he says, Christians are, are, are being, um, what was the word he was using? Uh, prejudice. There's prejudice against Christians. He, said, he says there's 10 gates up onto the Temple Mount. He says, nine out of the 10 gates only Muslims can go through. In, in other words, the Temple Mount is under Muslim control. And if, if you're not a Muslim, they stop you and said, there's a gate for you over there. And you, there's only one gate that everybody else can go through, but the Muslims, they're not even stopped. He said, I watched. Well, he, he tried to enter the gate. He was going to go through the gate, and they've, they've got guards there. said, no. Your gate is over there. And, and so there's real prejudice. And so there's, but th this, it, it's um, from an article titled The Amazing Bible Timeline with World History. Um, this uh, controversy in Jerusalem over the years, this is what it says. Years of war and abandonment resulted in the destruction of the forests, including almond olive and pine trees that enclosed Jerusalem during the ancient times. Over time, the city was ruined twice, hit with plague 23 times, assaulted 52 times, and invaded 44 times. That's one city all that time. Why is there so much trouble surrounding Jerusalem? Why? Someone who lives there explains Jerusalem is considered by many to be one of the holiest places in the world, a site of major significance for the three largest monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And both Israel and Palestine have claimed Jerusalem as their capital city. It remains one of the most bitterly contested sites on earth. You might be wondering how in the world Jerusalem got so religiously messy. 
three religions fighting over rights to control the city's holy heritage sites? From a Jewish perspective, it has belonged to them for over 3,000 years as both the political and religious center of their nation. The temple was significant, of course. And even, now, that video I watched last night, the young man said that the, those, the, the Muslims say that the temple wasn't even there now. Years ago, they admitted that this was important to the Hebrews because the temple was there, but now they're trying to cancel it. They're trying to ignore it. They're trying to say it wasn't even there. They've changed, they're trying to change history. They're trying to minimize the importance of the city of Jerusalem. From a Christian perspective, because Christianity came out of Judaism, we have this undeniable love for one of their Jewish rabbis. His name is Jesus. The Jews recognized Jesus as a great teacher, but refused to recognize him as their long-awaited Messiah. And by the way, the Bible mentions Jerusalem, and if you include Zion, which is uh, Jerusalem, which is the same place, it, it well over 900 times in the Bible. Jesus gave himself for us, and there he will be returning one day to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so why is Jerusalem important? From a Hebrew viewpoint and from a Christian viewpoint. Now what about the Muslim viewpoint? Why, why is it so important? Why is Jerusalem so important from the Muslim perspective? Now that's a little more difficult to understand. The Muslims have Abraham, of course, in common with the Jews. But that's kind of where it ends. In fact, Jerusalem isn't even mentioned in the Koran, not even once. Jerusalem's not mentioned. Here's why they claim Jerusalem as their third most holy site. Sometime after 612, um, Muhammad had a vision in which he was transported to Jerusalem to the site where the temple once stood. From there, he ascended into heaven. Starting around 691, Muslims began constructing the Dome of the Rock shrine on the spot that Muhammad dreamed about. But really, why did Jerusalem become important to, uh, to the Muslims? Why? I think there's only one answer. Because it was important to the Hebrew people. It's important to the Jews, and so the Muslims want to take it away. They want to take that away. They want to spoil that for the Jewish people. And, and if you don't know, Abraham, Abraham had two sons. The first son, not the son of promise. His name was Ishmael, born to a servant girl named Hagar. Right? The second was Isaac, the son of the promise, born to Sarah when she was 90 years old. Isaac was the son of the promise. Right, And when Ishmael was conceived, there was a prophecy spoken over his mother describing what would happen to the oldest child of Abraham. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives." And I believe that's why 
the Muslims are claiming Jerusalem and specifically the Temple Mount is so important to them because they are angry, an angry people. And they don't want the Jews to have anything. Ishmael is the patriarch to the Islam religion. Muslims don't turn towards Jerusalem to pray. They turn towards Mecca. So there's really no reason why they can't cooperate and share. But that's not their way. So when did Jerusalem become significant? In um, 2 Samuel 5, I want to read some of that. Second Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Then all the tribes of Israel, this is after uh, King Saul had died. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also, in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. So they're saying, you're the real hero, David. We want you to be king. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be rule over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Hebron. He reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over Israel and Judah. So he started in Hebron, but then he went to Jerusalem. Now, I'll keep on reading. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. That's kind of a... Basically, they're sticking their tongue out at David from the top of their ramparts and saying, "You, You know, our blind people will be able to hold you off. You guys are nothing thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And that's as far as I'll go. And, and so that's when Jerusalem became significant. And actually, David said uh, to uh, his troops, whoever is first to attack the Jebusites will become the commander of my armies. And Joab, the son of David, sister, uh, David's sister, was first to attack, and so he became the commander of David's armies. And uh, so that's... Who are the Jebusites? It, they were one of five people groups that Israel, that the children of Israel did not remove from the land. They were one of the five groups. And so they were a thorn in the flesh to Israel. And actually, after they, they refused to get them out of the land, they, they didn't finish the job God had given them to do. He said, take them. This land is yours. All the people don't belong there. This land belongs to you. So Israel didn't do that. But God said specifically, 
in um, uh, judges, uh, judges, he said, I'm going to leave these people here so that the, a new generation can learn how to fight. In other words, these people were going to come in and fight them all the time. Going to be a thorn in their flesh. That's exactly what happened. <clears throat> and so I, I wish we had time to really dig in here, but let me, let me give you the reference and so that you can dig in for yourself. It's absolutely relevant to this message. And uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 21. It starts out like this. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. That's how the chapter starts. And so David was going to sin. He, was gonna, he wanted to number the people of Israel so he could see how many fighting men he had. So he, David, and so in, David was starting to trust in his own strength and his own cunning and his own might instead of trusting in the Lord. And so that's, uh, that would be sin, right? That would be sin to him. And, and it, as it turns out, Joab, his military leader, said, David, are you sure you want to do this? He says, that, that, that doesn't sound like a good idea to me. Joab knew that this was wrong. However, he listened to the voice of his king. And they counted the people. Now, as it turned out, it was sin. And David, you know, trusting in his military strength rather than in the might of the Lord. And so God said, now you've got to be punished for this. But you get to, you get to choose the punishment. And God gave him three choices. And as it turns out, uh, David said, you know what, I don't want other people killing, you know, your children. It says, God, you kill them. With, and so a plague came and 70,000 men died. And because David said, God, I want your hand to, to do this because your mercies are very great. That's what he said. And so, so 70,000 uh, were being killed by this plague. 70,000 in Israel uh, as a result of David's sin. Now, Ornan was, a, um, according to um, First Chronicles, and maybe I'll read some of that. First Chronicles chapter 21, verses 14 to 18. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell, and God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. And he was destroying, as he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. When the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between the earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretching over Jerusalem. And so David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done this. And so what happened basically is, so the angel, this angel of the Lord went to this threshing floor. Notice that Ornan was its Jebusite. Okay, he was one of the people. He owned this threshing floor. And he was one of the people that had originally was supposed to be taken out of the land. But he was still there at Jerusalem. And, and so that's where the angel of the Lord came. And so it, and what, 
what God was asking David was to do was to, to make a sacrifice at this threshing floor. To buy this, go, go, go and get this threshing floor and, and take it and make a sacrifice to me. And so David went in obedience to the Lord now and approached Ornan and said, um, I want to buy this threshing floor. God will, will have mercy on us if I can buy this and make a sacrifice. And Ornan wanted to give it to David. And that's at that point, he said, no, 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 no. He says, I will not make a sacrifice which doesn't cost me anything. And that's a whole message all by itself. I will not worship with something that doesn't cost me. And so does it cost us to worship? Does it cost us something personally? Are we giving something up? Whether it's money or time or or are, are we giving something up as we worship the Lord? David said, no, I will not worship if it doesn't cost me anything. And so a sacrifice, David would not worship without personal sacrifice. That's verse 24. And so God showed his acceptance to this offering by lighting the fire. God lit the fire. David made the sacrifice and God lit it. David chooses that very spot to build a temple, and we know it today as the Temple Mount. That's where, that was Ornan. That was his. That was his thrashing floor. And so we see that David conquered Jabus, which was named Jerusalem. Jabus, as in Jebusites, right? And they named it Jerusalem, and put his throne there. We see that God chose Jerusalem to be a place of sacrifice, but there's still more to the story. And this is where it gets really, really exciting. Back in Genesis chapter 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he sandled, sandled, saddled his donkey. He didn't sandal his donkey. He, he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Well, <clears throat> to the land of Moriah. It was a number of days, and he saw it in the distance, and he had his servants wait, and he and Isaac went to this place. The mountain, the specific mountain, Moriah, uh, that God himself would point out, and what would happen there? And that's where Isaac said, well, Dad, I see, the, I see the wood, and I see the fire, but I don't see any animal for the sacrifice. And that's where Abraham laid his son down on the altar. And the Abraham was ready to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord said, Stop! 
Now I know that you will withhold nothing from me. And there was a ram caught in the thicket. And that ram was sacrificed. The innocent for the guilty. And it was um, verse 14, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. What provided? That's what it said. The mount of the, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. What will be provided? What do you think? The Lamb of God, maybe? The perfect sacrifice, maybe? And then, get this, Second Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Solomon began to build. So this is fast-forwarding again. So I went back to Abraham, which was the start of the children of Israel, right? And so fast forward now to when the children of Israel were back in Israel and they had taken the land and David was their king and David had died now. Solomon was king, uh, David's son, right? And God didn't allow David to build the temple because David had blood on his hands, but Solomon was more peaceful. And so Solomon was going to build the temple. And this is what it says. I mean, David prepared. He started preparing stones and uh, everything for the temple, but he could not build it. Solomon built it, and this is what it says, Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Oh! Oh, that's so exciting. Where the Lord had appeared to his father David, and at the place David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. No wonder Jesus wept over Jerusalem. No wonder he wept. But as they came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to cry. Eternal peace was within your reach, and you turned it down. He wept, and now it was too late. Your enemies will pile up earth against your walls and encircle you and enclose in on you and crush you to the ground and your children within you. Your enemies will not leave one stone upon another. For you have rejected the opportunity God offered you. That's Luke 19:41 to 44. And may I say that if we see Jerusalem as an, indiv- as an individual, if you see Jerusalem as a person, perhaps if you see Jerusalem as yourself, Jesus comes to you and he looks at you and he weeps. Why does he weep? Because he loves you. As he, as he came close, he saw you and he started to cry. Because you had a chance for peace and you rejected that. Just, I can't imagine God's, God's love for you and for, for me. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Jesus weeps over you and me. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be his children. Uh, Jesus' Jerusalem diary. Now, um, Jesus, I think that Jesus was in Jerusalem before he was born. Um, as the angel of the Lord, I believe that, and um, and so it was the angel of the Lord that called from heaven, and there's a capital A in Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord, and that is the pre-incarnate Jesus, 
And so I believe that Jesus was already there. It's already been. That Jerusalem was always his special place. Jerusalem is very important. And Jesus is intimately involved today. And Jesus has always been involved in Jerusalem. Now, in Jesus' earthly life, it appears that Jesus visited Jerusalem seven times. I think, that, I think he went to Jerusalem a lot more than that. But according to Scripture, what is recorded here, there are seven visits. <clears throat> Actually, in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, it says that his parents went every year. So I don't think Jesus stayed home every year. That you stay home and look after the kids. Because you're the oldest. Right? I, don't, I think Jesus went to Jerusalem almost every year growing up. Anyway, um, so the first time that Jesus went to Jerusalem that we have written down was when he was presented to the Lord. And this, he was, you know, a month or 40 days old maybe. And Jesus was uh, taken to the temple, Luke chapter 2, and they brought him to the temple to present him to the Lord. Uh, Luke explains, every male who opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Uh, part of that presentation or dedication to the Lord is there is sacrifice involved, right? There needs to be sacrifice. The minimum sacrifice was two pigeons, which, by the way, was a poor family sacrifice. That was the minimum. Two birds, right? And so, and of course, Philippians chapter 2, we're told that Jesus made himself of no reputation. He was from a poor family. Uh, number two, um, and when Jesus was 12, this is one of the times they went to Jerusalem to the Passover, and um, Jesus, when he was 12, said, don't you know I need to be about my father's business? What happened there? Well, they had gone to Jerusalem for the Passover, and uh, uh, after the celebration was all over, mom and dad were heading with relatives and everything back up to Galilee and Nazareth, and, and uh, all of a sudden they were taking stock of who was there, and, who, and Jesus wasn't there. They could not find him. And so back they went. They had gone a whole day. And, you know, I mean, was Jesus with his uncle or aunt or relatives or with friends from school? I mean, it was, it, they, there was just a whole party of them. There was a whole group of them that had gone together. And so it would be very easy to miss him. So after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening and asking questions. Luke 2.47, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they didn't get it. That's what the Bible says. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And then the third time that Jesus visited uh, uh, Jerusalem was when he was tempted by the devil. And uh, they brought him... Uh, he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Luke 4, 9. Satan was tempting Jesus to be reckless with his mission his father had given him to do. And Jesus used God's word to disarm the devil, something that we need to do and consider when memorizing Scripture. If we know the Bible, if we know God's word, we can disarm the devil. That's what Jesus did. 
Number four, Jesus cleanses the temple the first time. And this is earlier in his ministry. This is John chapter 2. And um, I, I believe it was, again, because of Passover. And Passover was a big deal. There were lots of people there. And uh, they, they, lots of people would go every year. And so this early appearance at the temple, cleansing it, because what, is it, what, um, what the temple had become is King Herod had made it kind of, he expanded the temple from what it was and made it so that there was, it was almost like a tourist attraction. They had vendors and everything lining the streets to get into the temple and, and even in some of the, 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 the holy place there um, in the courtyard, they would have all of these vendors there selling their wares and exchanging money and selling sacrifices. And, you know, they could only use maybe Jewish money, and so they had to change their Roman money to Jewish money in order to do a sacrifice and all of this kind of stuff. And Jesus cleanses the temple. He was angry. And, of course, that would have ruffled the feathers immediately of the Pharisees. And they would have looked at Jesus with great suspicion. If they didn't see the miracles, he did. Definitely, they noticed him cleansing the temple. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. That's John 2.16. It was right after this that Nicodemus actually searches him out and goes to talk to Jesus at night, saying, Who are you? Who are you? We know that you're a great teacher because no one can do the things that you do unless he was from God. And so Nicodemus finds out who Jesus really was. Uh, number five, Jesus heals a man at the pool of Bethesda. Okay, and this is in Jerusalem. It's by one of the gates. Again, um, this is, there was an unnamed feast going on. It means, it seems like in the middle of the Eastern culture, they're always eating. There's lots of cultures that like to eat. I know you've, the Filipino people, you like to eat. I, I like to go there too when you're eating because the food is absolutely fabulous. Lots of it too. Uh, and so in the Eastern cultures, there's uh, lots, of, uh, lots of feasting. And, the, and so the Jews had lots of feasts to go to. And then they would buy their exercise equipment. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's us. We buy the exercise. So many sick people around this pool. See, what would happen? The angel... The, the, the water would be stirred and the, the first sick person to get in there would be healed. So I don't know what to think about that. But that's, the, that's what's written in the Bible. Uh, but this man, apparently Jesus, saw and asked him if he would like to be healed. My mom talked about that and saw that place. Right? And so um, this man uh, couldn't get in there because he had nobody to help him. And by the time, you know, he got... He saw the water moving and being stirred and tried to get in the water. It was just too late. Somebody else was already there. And so Jesus asks the man if he wants to be healed. And he, and he, he doesn't really answer him. He says, well, there's nobody to put me in there. He didn't answer the question, right? He was making excuses why he couldn't be healed, right? Do you want to be healed, Jesus said. And so that's when um, 
Jesus healed him. And he said, pick up your bed and walk. Right? That's how. And, and so he picked up his bed and, and he was rejoicing. And, and then, you know what the Pharisees criticized? He says, why would you do that? Couldn't you wait till Monday? <laughs> why do you, or, or Sunday, I guess, in, in, in the Jewish religion. Because it was the Sabbath day that was healed. And that's what they picked out. They didn't, weren't rejoicing that this man that was, that was, that was needed healing for 30-some years was sick and, and, and his life was destroyed. They couldn't rejoice with him. Jesus, you didn't keep the rules. How dare you? And so that was uh, one time that Jesus was there. And then, and then number six, Jesus sneaks into Jerusalem. <laughs> I like this one. Um, at this point, it is well known that the, the, the Jews were trying to kill Jesus. His brothers don't even believe in him, his half-brothers. And Jesus, uh, they said, Jesus, let's go to Jerusalem and so you can tell people who you are. And Jesus you know, wasn't going to be played, right? He said, you guys go ahead. He says, I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not coming right now. And after they leave and after they, they get there for the feast, then Jesus sneaks into Jerusalem, right? And in the middle of the festival, Jesus, this is the, fe- uh, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, which they, for a week they, they build a little shelter and they live in there. Uh, just to remind them of the time they wandered in the wilderness. So this was the feast, and it happened, all, it was a whole week, and in the middle of the feast, Jesus began to preach and teach. And then number seven, the last time, is that Jesus enters triumphant. As he nears Jerusalem for the last time, Jesus weeps. Jesus begins to cleanse the temple again. And this is the Passover celebration. Once a year, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and sprinkles blood on the mercy seat. And this is, and as this is going on, a shadow of what was the, the priest going into the Holy of Holies is only a shadow of what Jesus was actually doing outside the city. As they took him and they beat him up the Passover lamb, the real Passover lamb, had come to die this last time in Jerusalem. They had no idea. They had no idea. After Jesus was raised from the dead, I'm sure that he, I mean, he was in Jerusalem and was seen 40 days or so. So, and then finally, Jesus, Jerusalem destiny. Let me read this little poem. The road goes over on and on, uh, the road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road has gone, and I must follow if I can, pursuing it with eager feet, until it joins some larger way where many paths and errands meet. And whither then? I cannot say. Do you recognize it? That is from the Fellowship of the Ring. Tolkien. And it is sung by a little hobbit. His name is Frodo Baggins. As he embarks on a journey with his friends, brave little hobbits, 
It is a song to inspire courage, a song of setting out from the safety and familiarity of home to seek that which has been put in front of them, the unfamiliar and perhaps dangerous. They're going out into a world filled with goblins and an evil wizard and armies fighting under the influence of an unspeakably dark force. And Frodo gives his friends more than one opportunity to say, no, this is not for us. This isn't even who we are, right? But they continue with him. He undertakes his hero's journey, and his friends are determined to stay with him. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That is Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. Why Jerusalem? Why must Jesus go to Jerusalem? Well, number one, Jesus was going there to die. When the time had come, It's important to note that Jesus didn't do much of his ministry around Jerusalem. According to Luke chapter 4 and verse 14, after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. For us, it would be like the difference between Calgary and Edmonton and Provost. So the people are different, aren't they? The people in the country are much more relaxed, the city can be a little intense. And so that for Jesus, that's, I think that's the way it was like. But the, So that the reason for operating from an out-of-the-way region like Galilee is that Jesus' life was in danger when he was around Jerusalem. And so when Luke says that the time had come, it was a clear indication that the fact that Jesus' life was in danger, but that was now irrelevant because the fact was that Jesus came to die. And why did Jesus need to go to Jerusalem? It was his destiny. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world as he is referred to in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. And so number one, Jesus came there. Came to Jerusalem to die. And then Number two, Jerusalem was God's chosen place for the offering of sacrifices to himself. And that we've clearly seen as to why Jerusalem is so important. We've already seen clearly through Abraham on Mount Moriah, David buying the Jebusite's threshing floor, Solomon building the temple where sacrifices would be made continually. When the children of Israel were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. The temple was destroyed. Now instead of using, and you'd think that they would just find another location, maybe a storefront, maybe an old hall, and convert it into into a temple so that they could keep up their sacrifices because not all of the children of Israel were taken into Babylon. There were still some left, and they could have still continued their sacrifices if they would have built an altar, right? But they didn't do it. Why? Why? Because they lamented. Because the place for sacrifice was Moriah. It was where the temple was built. For we are reduced, O Lord, 
beyond any other nation brought low everywhere and in this world this day because of our sins we have in our day no prince prophet or leader no burnt offering sacrifice oblation or incense no place to offer first fruits to find favor with you that is actually an unpublished part of the book of Daniel and they lamented because they had no place to sacrifice. Jerusalem was the closest, I mean, the chosen place. God chose Jerusalem. And so why did Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem? Because it was God's chosen place for sacrifice. And then number three, Jesus came to expose political and religious deficiencies. According to the dictionary, um, the name Jerusalem means city of peace. What? City of peace? There's no peace in Jerusalem. Has it ever really been a city of peace? Politically, there was what Rome called the Pax Romana. You know what that is? Roman peace. That's what it means. Roman peace. Now, history views this as a state of comparatively tranquil uh, throughout the Mediterranean world, including the province of Judea, starting just a decade before the ministry of Jesus began and lasting for about 150 years, the empire protected and governed individual provinces, permitting each to make and administer its own laws while accepting Roman taxation and military control. Pilate promoted this, which is why he agreed to have Jesus crucified. Why? For peace. That's what Pilate was after. Peace, right? He didn't want a revolt. Apparently, even with the cooperation of religion, Judaism represented by the high priests and the Pharisees, and the political power of the day, the Romans, represented by Pilate and his military, there was insufficient resolve to bring about peace. Because in 70 AD, the Jerusalem was leveled and the temple was destroyed. No peace in Jerusalem. Millions were killed. So Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem to expose the deficiencies of political and religious power to bring about peace. There's a reason why Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that made for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. It's Luke 19, 41 and 42. The road goes on and on. Down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road has gone, and I must follow if I can, pursuing it with eager feet until it joins some larger way where many paths and errands meet. And whither then? I cannot say. Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus said, must pick up his cross and follow. Let us go then and pursue the road with Jesus, the road to Jerusalem. Amen.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, and we look at Jerusalem and we look at uh, what's happening in, in Israel and, and, and Iran and the, the, this, this trouble, this violence, this hatred. There is no peace. But Jesus, you were drawn to Jerusalem to bring real peace. And for those that receive it, there is peace between man and God. And so thank you, Jesus, for setting your face towards Jerusalem, that difficult road, so that we could have peace. Help us to join you on that road in our daily lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.